Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please do get in touch at hello at hopeharrogate.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Hi. Okay. So let's continue with our series this morning. I want to start with a story. You see, when I was 15 years old, uh, I bought myself a Rolex. You heard me right. I bought myself a Rolex. You see, I'd, I'd come into some money. Someone on my paper round had given me a Christmas bonus. Uh, it was a, a £10 note left in an envelope by the door with the paper boy written on. And there was this lad at school who was selling these Rolexes. And I tell you what, it looked class. It was silver with some gold detail on the face. Had two hands, one for the hour, one for the minutes. Obviously, it was a watch. Had a date dial. It said Rolex on the face. Uh, I mean, it looked the business. I tell you what. But when you looked at it, something just seemed not quite right. There, there was something just a bit off about it. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Uh, until one day when I was playing football at school in our lunch break and I went into a fairly innocuous tackle uh, and my Rolex got bumped and both hands fell off. And you sort of look at the watch and you'd wiggle it. You'd wiggle the watch and they'd just move around inside the face. And I thought, ah, this is not what it looks like. It, it looked the part. It, it did what it was supposed to do but it's missing the most important bit. You could say all that glitters is not gold. And that's the title for my talk today. All that glitters is not gold. You see chapter 12 of Nehemiah, we're almost at the end now. It's a little bit like my Rolex just before the football match. It looks the part. They're doing everything they're supposed to do, but something is not quite right. And if you continue reading into chapter 13, which we'll do next week, uh, and Pete's going to finish off the series, you will see that the hands fall off. That's the moment. D.A. Carson, who's a well-known Bible teacher, he, he titles the book of Nehemiah, The Triumph and Failure of Reformation and revival. The triumph and failure. We've seen a lot of the triumph and over the next two weeks we will see some of the failure. He says, D.A. Carson, he says there's a brutal realism to the way the book ends. Brutal realism. And to be honest, it's a dissatisfying ending to the book. I know many of you have loved this series and as we get into the end you're going to feel probably a little bit empty. It's quite anticlimactic. It leaves you needing something more. And that's good news because the end of Nehemiah is not the end of the story. I'm sure we'll look more at that next week. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to see this brutal realism of the triumph and failure of Reformation and Revival play out. In chapter 12, our chapter for today, it's going to take just a little teasing out because you can read chapter 12 as a success. Everything kind of looks like it's supposed to. 
the anticlimax is seen more in what is not said than what is said. On, on face value, it, it looks okay. It's got two hands and it says Rolex, but I'm just not quite sure it is. And as I studied this book in the summer, Nehemiah, to prepare this series, and again, as I've chewed over this chapter for the last couple of weeks before preaching today, I've become increasingly convinced that this chapter is apt for the times that we are living in. I am full of faith that God is going to speak to us this morning. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but I honestly believe that God is going to do something in us, continuing the theme of the morning so far, uh, and it will be significant for us. So hopefully that's whet your appetite just a little bit to dive in to Nehemiah chapter 12. We're going to be reading verse 27 through to 47. Um, and advance warning, there are a lot of names in this chapter. And so if you're particularly fussed about the names being right, then I'm sorry to disappoint you in advance. <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, at the dedication, ooh, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, uh, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the Dungate. Hashaiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micahiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his associates. Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani. Whew. With musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David, on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall. This is Nehemiah talking, that's who the eye is. He says, together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, in the temple. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Masiah, Miniamin, 
Micaiah, Elianai, Zechariah and Hananiah with their trumpets and also Masahiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehananan, Milkijah, Elam and Isa. Thank you very much. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. Final bit. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Whew. The key, if you ever find yourself in the position of having to read one of these sections of the Bible with lots of names in, is just to go hard and fast and confident because no one has a clue how to say them. So there you go. Ever find yourself in that situation? That's my tactic, at least. Here's a summary of what we've just read. Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel that have returned from exile, have done and are doing everything that they were supposed to do. They've rebuilt the wall, as we've seen with God's help. And here they're dedicating the wall to God. They go through the ritual cleansing. They blow their trumpets. The choirs are singing. There's tons of sacrifices. There's a celebration. There's great joy. It all looks and sounds the part. They are dotting every I. They are crossing every T. Nehemiah goes to great lengths to tell you that they're doing everything they are supposed to do, just like they used to. Ooh. That was my phone ringing. Sorry about that. No caller ID. Let me just put that on aeroplane mode to stop that happening again. Whew, the things that happen when you're ooh, preaching on your computer. Um, just in case any of you thought that you might try it as well to make this a, an ongoing joke through the morning. Uh, where was I? They're dotting every I, they're crossing every T, they're doing all the things that they were supposed to be doing. And he, he tells us we're doing all the things like they used to, like David and Solomon set out. We're doing it all. The city's protected. They're doing all the right things. Great. So what? Like, was that what the aim was? To do all the right things? To have a wall? Is, is that it? Next week in chapter 13, we're going to see the various sin issues 
that continue to affect the people of God and go on and increase in affecting the people of God in the city of Jerusalem. And as we read chapter 13, it is desperately sad. Uh, chapter 12, you'll have seen, it's not quite so obvious, but I want to say to you, the celebration here is a little hollow. Something is missing. Everything we've just read, it, it's got two hands and they tell the time and it says Rolex on the face of it. But something just doesn't seem right. Our series, you'll know this, is it's called. Ooh. Our series is called Building a Community of Hope. And there is a danger that I want to highlight this morning. And it is this danger that we might give ourselves to the first three words. And in that effort, forget the last two. We might look the part. We might do everything we're supposed to be doing. But still miss the most important point. The church might look brilliant. Yet if it got bumped in a tackle, the hands might fall off. You know, we might have built a super wall around the city, but forgotten the reason we were building it. Did you notice as we were reading how God is barely mentioned in all the reports of the celebration? It doesn't tell us what they sang, just told us they were filled with joy. Nehemiah is very thorough in telling us about all the things they're doing, they're all the right things. But there's no denying that the focus of that chapter is on how well they are doing the things they are supposed to be doing. And there's very little mention of the one they're doing it for. God is conspicuous by his absence in the 21 verses we've just read. Friends, building a community is a great thing to do. But if it becomes a greater focus than the hope that, that, that can, if it becomes a greater focus than the hope which that community is supposed to contain, then there is a problem. If we enjoy the community more than the one who is the object of our hope, then we have missed the most important thing. We've lost. If that's the case, we've brought a fake Rolex from our mate who went to the Canary Islands in the Christmas holidays and picked a bundle up from a street seller. Now, it might only cost you a tenner. But you've missed the true prize. And many people have tripped over this challenge in history. When love for and commitment to the church slowly becomes more significant than love for and commitment to Jesus, to knowing him and following him. Now, I'm not saying we've got it all wrong and everything needs to change. I'm not saying we need to throw everything out. No, no, no. I'm not saying that the church doesn't matter. I love the church. You know, I love the church. Jesus loves the church. She is a glorious thing. She's the bride. Jesus gave himself for her. The church is important, significant, special. 
I'm simply saying that there is a danger that we can become so fixated on the church or some endeavor that we are doing for God that we can lose sight of the purpose behind them. And some of you who have been walking and following Jesus for longer than I have will have seen this happen in the lives of people you love. It will have hurt you deep. Some of you may have been through this process yourself. This morning, I am trying to be a good pastor. I am simply pointing out, I'm warning you that there is something dangerous that we need to avoid. There is a hole that we could fall in. And I'm telling you this morning, hey, friends, over there, there is a big hole. Don't go over there. Stay here close to Jesus. It's very easy to think that this is the kind of problem that other people get into trouble with. You know, the religious people, those legalistic people, the traditional people, the, the church growth people, them over there, not us. We would never fall into this hole, would we? Would we? Uh, but then as I was reflecting and remembering, there are at least three times in the nine years that hope has existed where we have baptized people who have given their lives to Jesus. And as they've had their few minutes to share why they're getting baptized, all they've talked about is how great the church is, how welcoming hope is, how much they love it here, how lovely you all are. And I've had to ask them a follow-up question to get them to speak about Jesus. Three times I've had to prompt people to talk about Jesus at their baptism because all they want to talk about is the community rather than the hope it contains. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's the community that has not just attracted people, but has won people. And perhaps they've missed the hope that we carry. If that community is our focus too, then we would never notice this problem. Now, that doesn't mean that we should dampen down on community. It doesn't mean that we should stop being so friendly. I'm not telling you to be rude to the next person that you see from church or to never welcome someone again. No, 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 not at all. I'm simply encouraging us to make sure that the fire at the centre is burning for Jesus before anything else. These last months, these last nine months are we on now, they've been far from plain sailing. You probably don't need me to tell you that personally. And I know for many of you, uh, not being able to meet together on a Sunday has been a real heartache. Like I miss it. To be honest, like brutally honest with you, I used to bounce out of bed on a Sunday morning. I was excited to see what would happen. I was thrilled to be together. These days, I have to exert a lot more willpower to get up on a Sunday. I don't know if that's the case for you. It's harder. And uh, that's not okay. So I've spent some time considering this. I've talked with good friends. I've explored it. I've prayed. I said, God, what's going on here? Because I don't want it to be hard to get up on the day I get to be with the church, albeit in an inferior way. And what I've realized is that not all of my love for the way things used to be is totally pure. Like, a lot of it is good. A lot of it is good. Don't get it like, 
but not all of it. There's a small part of me that misses the thrill of standing in front of a crowd. My extroversion, it misses the sea of faces and the buzz of a hundred conversations happening around me. Something not great in me fed on the steady stream of new people that we got to meet. And I've become aware that in places, my value and worth became linked to that steady stream. Friends, I love Jesus. But sometimes if I'm honest, my love for whatever I've been doing for God has burned brighter than my love for God. How about you? You see, we can look the part. We can do all the things that we're supposed to be doing and yet still have missed the true prize. I've read all sorts of articles and comments through this age of COVID. I've had all sorts of conversations, even this week, about how the church is being sifted and purified and God's doing something in his church in these days and she's going to come out looking different. And I agree, definitely. But I think it goes further because I don't think it's just the church that's being sifted. I think it's our individual hearts. It isn't okay that we can't meet together and it's God's will that we would meet together. But in this season where we can't, I do honestly believe he's just shaking us a little bit. And he's asking, have we become so fixated on building the wall that we've forgotten the simple joy of being with God? In our celebration about church and filling rotors and taking the gospel to the ends of the world, have we missed the fact that God's the prize? Just sometimes, just a little. In Nehemiah chapter 12, they're doing all the right things, all the things they're supposed to do, but there's no mention of God. In Nehemiah says, we got the right people. We made everything clean like we're supposed to. Uh, we dedicated the wall. We had choirs and singing and trumpets and loads of sacrifices and great joy. And we filled all of the rotors just like they used to be when David did them. I want to compare this dedication with another dedication. You might know the story. It's in two Chronicles, chapters five and six. And there's Solomon. He assembles all of the right people, the elders and the priests like Nehemiah. He makes everything clean like Nehemiah, to dedicate something he's built for God, like Nehemiah. In this case, it's the first temple. And there are choirs and there's singing and there's trumpets. You read it. It's so similar. There's all these sacrifices and there's great joy, just like in Nehemiah. But let's read a few verses together, shall we? 2 Chronicles chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, why don't you open it up? 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, they say this. They say, the trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. It's a little bit different to Nehemiah, isn't it? It continues. 
Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Solomon continues and he prays this lavish prayer of dedication through chapter six. And chapter seven then starts with these three verses. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all of the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped. And they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good. His love endures forever. When we read the celebration of Nehemiah chapter 12, compared to that celebration, God seems to be missing. I certainly know which occasion I would rather have been at. How about you? Friends, my message this morning is very simple. You can look the part. You can do everything you're supposed to do and yet still miss the true prize. All that glitters is not gold. This morning, it's a very simple call to devotion to Jesus above all else. He is our hope. It's him first, above anything. There's a song that used to be sung at all sorts of youth events that I went to back when I had my Rolex. And uh, there was a period in my life where I couldn't sing this song, I couldn't hear this song without tears filling my eyes and looking back God was most definitely working something in my life around this issue looking the part but missing the prize you probably know the song the first line is when the music fades all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. The hope that the community contains is Jesus. The reason we exist is Jesus. The hope that we carry is Jesus. The main thing 
is Jesus. Not the wall, not building a great church, not even going into all the nations. It's Jesus. And friends, he's with us right now by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be in the same room. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're in the middle of doing, he's with you. He's with us by the Holy Spirit, who he said is one just like him. Emmanuel, God with us. He'll never leave. And there's a future coming where we won't have to remind ourselves of this, where we won't have to tell the world about this because he's coming back. And in that moment, his love and his grace and his justice will completely transform the world. And he will be the most real thing you've ever experienced. We get the foretaste of that now. We get to enjoy that now because he's with us. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? Why don't you take a moment to tell him that you love him? You'd think the world would have got quiet again with all this lockdown stuff, but it's difficult to be present in the moment. It's difficult to be conscious of his presence with us, to be aware of the fact that he is with you. Just close your eyes for a moment. Tell him that you love him. Just breathe deeply in and out. Allow yourself to be grounded in this moment, this moment where Jesus is with you. He is the prize, friends. He is the prize.